Just a quick note before we start. This entire first season of Inspired Business was recorded before the coronavirus outbreak in the UK. Hence, there being no mention of it in the interviews. Thanks. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Inspired Business, the business podcast from the University of Derby. During this series, we are bringing you inspiring stories from across the business landscape in Derby, Derbyshire and beyond. We discuss the issues affecting your business and provide key insights from our guests for you to take away. I'm Toby Bradford, your host for the series. I'm joined by my co-host, business expert, Angela Tooley, who will offer you valuable analysis on the topics we cover. This week, we're talking to Marketing Derby's rising star for 2019. Abby Burns is the founder and owner of Dali Dance Productions, a dance and entertainment company. She also advises University of Derby students on life as a freelancer. As always, I'm joined by our business expert, Angela Tooley. Angela, in talking to Abby, I was particularly taken by the idea that creative passion can produce business magic. I love the sound of business magic. My team often talk about sprinkling things with fairy dust, which I guess is the same thing. It really is about bringing what you do to life, converting what you offer as a product or a service into something that is desirable by consumers and that they're willing to pay hard cash for, which is really what a business is all about. It's also about sprinkling a little bit of what you do and your passion into what you sell whether that be a product or a service. And that, as we know, is so important because most people, they buy into a vision or a dream. And in a competitive world, that's really important. Buying into someone's values and brand is what sets you apart. And we just think about some of those big household names that we all automatically go for that typifies this. Um, it's not always the best product or the cheapest product is what we go for. It's, it's what we know and we love. Thanks, Angela. Angela will be back later for our analysis of the interview with Abby, but for now, let's hear what Abby has to say. I'd like to welcome Abby Burns to our Inspired Business Podcast. Abby, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Abby Burns and I run a company called Dolly Dance Productions. So we are a dance and entertainment company who specialise primarily in professional dancers for events, professional cheerleaders and a Christmas variety show. Right, okay. Could you explain that more? <laughs> so you you provide dancers for events. What, what sort of events are these? So essentially for the last sort of, I mean, we've been going now probably about 12 years and for the first sort of decade we had dancers in events so corporate events whether you know sometimes you might go to a Christmas party and there's dancers there or sports games cheerleaders at the on the sidelines things like that and then a couple of years ago we decided that we wanted to have our own event we wanted a sustainable event that we could grow and that we could build on for the future and make sure that we had something that was ours that was more stable for performers in the area so we decided to launch the Christmas show and our idea will be definitely to grow that as the years go on so that's been going for two years years now now. yeah we've just done the second year and the idea would be to keep that growing and so we have a proper event where we can have performers paid work in the city for Christmas excellent so what sort of what sort of things are in the show it's obviously not a pantomime no it's not a panto it's It's an old-fashioned fun variety show so yeah we have singing and dancing and a few bits of comedy and it's all very feathers and sequins and fun and light-hearted and very Christmassy we have a Dickensian choir so we have the big Victorian dress and sing some traditional Christmas carols and it's basically fun there's no heavy moral message there's no it's just come out have a good time it's Christmas let's have some sparkle and have a laugh and and get into the Christmas mood and that's that's very much what we want to do and very much what we want people to just come and enjoy it and yeah so it's it's kind of how I picture theatre in my head (laughs) 
and that's why I put on the stage. <laughs> and and where do you where do you perform these? So we want to perform at different community venues. So at the moment we're performing in two venues at Alistair St Nicholas Church, which is just in Alistair, just outside the city centre in Derby, and also at Melbourne Assembly Rooms. The first year we just did one venue. The second year we did two. This year we hope to add another venue. So by the time Christmas comes, we hope that there will be a third venue on there. And each year we want to grow and grow so that we have um, something that runs all through December. But in community venues, we were very keen that I think theatre now, there's a lot of people that don't go to the theatre because they worry about the hassle of the theatre. And we spoke to a lot of people and said, why aren't you going? And it's expensive tickets or town traffic with the shoppers or parking. So we thought, right, well, if we take it out to the community venues, then people can have a walk and walk down to their local venue. And we're a professional production, we're a professional show. So they're getting professional quality performance. But it's on their doorstep and they can you know bundle the kids up warm and walk down and and then walk home again at the end of it so it's very much kind of taking the theatre out into the community and that's what we want to do and we hope to keep adding community events and spreading into different communities fantastic and you mentioned um cheerleaders so if yes. if, if somebody goes to uh, where would they see them the next place i'll see them is at the playoffs at nottingham arena for the ice hockey the ice hockey playoff finals weekend um is coming up so there will be at Nottingham Arena for that and that's a big event it's a great event it's a lot of noise <laughs> it's a lot of colour and uh, yeah we love it so that's where they'll be next one thing I did notice I nipped onto your website I noticed something called first wedding dance what's yes. that so first dance choreography yeah so basically it's couples who don't want to just stand on the dance floor and awkwardly shuffle at their wedding <laughs> so I'm um, saying nothing <laughs> I mean, sometimes people come to me with huge ideas of things they've seen on YouTube or I've seen a dance on Strictly or there was this dance in this film that we want to mimic and they have all these big ideas of what they want to do. And other times people come and they just say, we just don't want to shuffle. We just want to look like we know what we're doing. So then I work with those couples to choreograph a first dance for them that they feel comfortable with, that they feel confident with and that they then do at their wedding. It's great. I love it. I've been doing that. Oh God, like probably... 11 12 years now so yeah I think I love that's it. a fantastic idea yeah it's so much fun to work with the couples as well particularly when they are feeling quite self-conscious and quite nervous at first and you get them to relax and you get them to enjoy it and so I always say if you're enjoying the lessons then you'll enjoy the dance so the lessons have to be fun as well and we have a we have a real laugh actually it's good fun really good fun and it's good for them because in the lead up to your wedding actually you very rarely get to spend time just the two of you together and doing something and a lot of the couples don't tell friends and family that they're doing it so it's a bit of a secret that they keep and a lot of them have said to me that it's really good for them because they kind of make it a date night once a week for them and they run up to the wedding so all the chaos goes away and, and it's just the two of them so it's really really good fun really rewarding that it's yeah now you produce cheerleaders and, and you provide dancers for events but one thing that I know you do, you also support these professional yeah. um, entertainers, these professional dancers. Could you explain how you do that? Well, I think that it's very intimidating as a dancer. I think that you, if you don't necessarily get into dance college or you don't want to go to dance college or at the end of college, you don't get hired by the agent and you don't go on the West End stage, you think that that's it and you failed as a dancer. And I know so many dancers who give up at that point because they think, well, that's it, I'm done. And actually that's just the beginning and there's this whole world out there for freelance dancers and there's all these jobs that they just don't know about that are amazing that are there for the taking and if they know how to put together a good CV and they know what a good headshot is or how to put together a showreel or how to find these jobs and how to approach these companies, then it gives them a much better chance of having that work consistently. And I know a lot of dancers who make their living just doing freelance work. So they'll be working here one week and here another week. And, and it can be hard work finding that work. But once you get into the network of it and you get into the structure, then you do find that work and you can make a living doing that so I think it's a case of saying to dancers all is not lost just because you didn't get on the West End stage you can have a great career as a dancer and there's a lot that you can do and it's just showing them as best as I can what we look for from dancers why we hire dancers what we hear from other companies that they're looking for and just trying to be as transparent as we can because I think there's not a case of us and them and companies versus dancers like as 
freelance companies, we need as many dancers as possible working in the industry so that we can all help each other. So it's beneficial to all of us to have these dancers working. And a lot of them won't work if they don't know how to do that and they don't know how to find that work or they don't know how to put together a CV that's going to stand out. So I just want to be a very just open book and say to them any questions that you have you can ask me and that really started from my dancers that were working for me the more bold ones started asking me questions and then I was like well you can ask me anything you want and then it did start and they were saying things like well you know what did you look for in the audition like why did we stand out in the audition or or why did she stand out in the audition and so I started talking to them and started realizing that actually no one's answering these questions for them and they're not necessarily learning this at the dance colleges and they're not learning it at their dance schools so just thought that it might be something that I could help with and just be honest with them and answer any of the questions that they have and that's what I've tried to do as much as I can. And from a first point of call if somebody did have any questions do you have um, the female dancer website yes, has blogs on it? Yes we have the it. website yeah with the blogs on and we have our um, Instagram a lot of people contact me through Instagram and we try and I think we're going to start trying to put videos up on there and start trying to get people as that's an easy port of call for a lot of people now and then just I get a lot of emails as well <laughs> like literally just people just email me and ask me and I just try and answer anything that I can and if I don't know the answers I try and find someone that does because I know probably having been in the industry for a long time might know somebody that knows somebody that can answer it for them so yeah it's just about being open with them and opening up the lines of communication so they don't feel like they can't ask because you should feel like you can ask these questions in a lot of other jobs you'll be able to go into industries and and it'll be very easy to see what the path is and what the process is whereas I think in creative industries you have to carve your own path so you have to take inspiration from what other people have done to figure out your path I'm beginning to see now why you uh, won marketing derby's rising star last year um (laughs) (gasps) <gasps> Which is, you know, it's it's an award not to be sniffed at. Amazing um, and, awards. Yeah. yeah, absolutely amazing awards, yeah. Uh, and could you tell me about that? Well, we because we had a really shift of the business, we went into organising our own event, which was the Christmas show, mm-hmm. and sort of moved into... From the outside, it might not necessarily look like we've made a lot of changes, but there was a lot of changes inside the business of how we started doing things and started opening up to dancers, which I'm not sure many other companies were doing, and also wanting this event in Derby and keeping it in Derby and very key not wanting to take it to London or keeping it in Derby. And so, yeah, I put myself forward for it, not really expecting because Derby's an incredible city full. And I always say it's like, you know, it's full of innovation and technology and thinking that a creative company would be able to step into that world was quite intimidating. I didn't really know where we stood as a business. So it was really exciting to win and become part of Marketing Derby. And then the year that I've just had, so I was Rising Star for 2019. So the whole year you become part of Marketing Derby and the people that I've met and the support that I've had from them this year has just been transformational for my business. It's been absolutely amazing. It's, yeah, the award has changed my business, definitely. And it has been an advantage to us because you've come in and helped us because we run dance courses at Data and you've made some contacts there haven't you yes it's been wonderful I've been in and spoken to some of the third year students about what they might want to do as dancers once they complete their courses and how they might be able to step into a freelance world and and I'm more than happy to do that because like I say the more dancers in the industry the better so I've been able to do that and also brilliantly and we had an intern from the university working with us on the Christmas show this year as one of our technicians for the Christmas show and she was brilliant it was such a good experience for us and I believe it was a very good experience for her as well (laughs) it was chaos it was absolute chaos and I said to her you know if you go and work in a theatre everything's there for you and everything's ready and you just jump in and you go but when you work for us you're working in church halls and the wiring's not right and this box doesn't work and this plug doesn't fit and this is going to so it's a whole new experience so it really does learn a lot from that kind of situation yeah and she was great and we had a real laugh with her and she really sort of became part of our team over Christmas so that was wonderful and that was from meeting Bev Crichton at Marketing Derby and her putting us in touch with the right people and sort of saying you know have you considered an intern which we were like no we've never even thought about having an intern but yeah and that all came out of it 
it and it was brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah but you talk about meeting the dancers and talking about freelancing but you've also been in to speak to our theatre techs I'm going in to speak to them in March yes which um, I'm hoping yeah I'm looking forward to looking forward to it a lot because I think that a lot of freelance work in the creative industry is transferable whether you are looking for the work as a dancer an actor a stage manager whatever it is I think how you present yourself as a freelancer and how you put yourself out there as a freelancer is the same. It's just, it's making sure that you look at yourself as a business and look at yourself as, as a product, I suppose, in a bit of, in a way and know how to present yourself to the freelance world, as it were. So I think whether they're tech students, dancers, actors, you know, I think it's all very, very similar. And we all need each other to make the industry work. We all have to be in that industry together. You know, you can't have a theatre production without the dancers, without the technicians, without, you know, we're all hand in hand. So we all need to make sure we're supporting each other. I want to go back to the idea of a dance company providing professional dancers in Derby. Yeah. So where did that idea come come about? <laughs> so initially I ran a dance school. So right. I had I was going to be a dancer and then decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore and I came back to Derby and realized that actually I didn't have any skills and I tried to work in a hotel and an Italian restaurant just had no skills <laughs> but I could dance so my mum said they're looking for a choreographer at Woodland School to choreograph where she worked to choreograph a Christmas show just go and do it and so uh, how old were you at this point? I was 18 right. 17 yeah, 18 probably and I was like okay that's fine so I went and hit it off really with the students and created essentially over the next sort of eight years created a dance school at Woodland School so it was an affiliate dance school so we did all of the dance training but the school we were kind of hand in hand with the school so we were part of their extracurricular setup but it was sort of an independent dance school and it was great and I really enjoyed it and it was great to work with those students and it was a big learning curve for me to see how dancers developed really and then essentially we outgrew the school there was too many of us there was too many people wanting to join from outside of the school so I decided to move to new studios and create Dali Dance and we'd been Woodlands Dance previous to that and so that was in 2008 and we moved into these studios and almost immediately I realised that we were one of many dance schools. When we'd been at Woodlands, it was lovely because we were offering the Woodlands students something extra and we had a core focus on performance and not exams. So it was all about the performances and a lot of the dancers had been going out and performing at a lot of events. And once we moved into town, a lot of the dancers now were older they were adults, 18, 19, 20s, and they still wanted to perform. And I kind of was like a crossroads of, do we want to be one of many dance schools who are training dancers up to the point of 18 and then sending them out with nothing to do, which there are many of those. And that's brilliant because you need that training. Or do we want to be the next step and try and pick up those 18 year olds and find something for them to do? So I decided that really that was the place that needed something. So there wasn't anything like this at no, all? No, no. I think there was a company similar in Birmingham, but there wasn't anything at all. And I wanted to dance. I wanted to perform in Feathers and be a showgirl and all these things that... That's what Derby needs. Yeah, obviously. And so I thought, you know, if I want to do this, and I didn't want to go back to London, I didn't want to go on the cruise ship, so if I want to do this and other girls want to do this, then that opportunity has to be there for them to do it without having to move away. So kind of on a wing and a prayer and not really knowing what I was doing I just started trying to find places to put dancers <laughs> and trying to appeal to businesses to say you know let's try this or let's try this or let's do this and through the years kind of muddled about finding events for them and and putting them in events. So what sort of events were they performing at certainly initially when you started out? Well, So initially it was more probably some of the earlier events were nightclubs so if they had sort of big DJs on like Greg James and things like that at the nightclubs with a lot of the student nights we would perform as a warm-up or balls charity balls things like that and charity do's we were performing at and and adding something extra on the door so we started doing basically because we have some beautiful costumes my mum's a costumier and we have some amazing costumes I wanted the girls to stand on the door 
for things so we had it so that we were like we'll put the girls on the door and frame the door because it'll be a lot cheaper than trying to find decorations for the door I know it sounds ridiculous now (laughs) people are cheaper than decorations that's not anything we really want to we've got the costumes they're wonderful and if the girls can do it and we can pay the girls to stand on the door in the costumes it'll be a lot easier than trying to hire in a lot of lights and a lot of things that you know we're gonna end up not using again and stuff and the girls wanted to be on the door and wanted to be greeting people and this whole meet and greet thing kind of came in so we started doing a lot of meet and greet work as well which is fantastic and it's great fun I've done it myself and it's it's really good fun and sort of sets the scene for events and it kind of grew and developed from there so yeah I don't really know how it happened I think it's just quite organic <laughs> so so these days in 2020 yeah. I know you've got the Christmas show yes. but where else can people see your dancers well there are now loads of companies that do this right. you know there are lots and lots and lots of companies all over the country that are providing dancers showgirls Gatsby girls things like that for events so it got to the point where it was a case of going right we're now in a saturated market we've gone from being a bit of a niche to being saturated we need to think of something else to do or we're going to just drown in these companies so for me it was very much like what can we do that's going to be a step to the future and that's why we created the Christmas show so now really you'll see the girls cheerleading at the ice hockey definitely we're trying to get cheerleaders into other places in my opinion all sports should have cheerleaders although I have to admit they don't really work at football because it's not very stop start but there's a lot of sports that they do work with and I don't feel like England embraces cheerleaders in the way a lot of other countries do. So so the crowd um, in football, now this is going to be very football-y for our listeners, when they're doing VAR checks, having cheerleaders on the pitch for the crowd would uh, make them feel less aggrieved maybe well yeah that's true that's something that's quite new we spent the season at Burton Albion I don't think they have VAR yeah I was gonna say (laughs) and I think that yeah that's a good point that there's definitely a gap in the game there that you could definitely fill but because football as a general rule is very much power forward just keep going whereas a lot of other sports like cricket with the T20s and obviously ice hockey they have a stop start system so the girls keep the flow going and the cheerleaders just keep that kind of momentum up and keep the crowd they're like the difference kind of like a warm-up comedian Mm. at at a sitcom gig or something so it's a case of just being there for that and in England I feel that cheerleaders are very very well we just don't really see them in the same way that other countries do and they are wonderful brand ambassadors for clubs and they are wonderful entertainers and performers and can be I don't want to use the word used but can be used so much more than they are so I will always be flying the flag and trying to find places to put the cheerleaders. Fantastic. Now you talked about it was a a niche and you've talked about it being a leap of faith but knowing about business and going into business on your own you you must have some kind of business brain to to be able to do that i think so i think a lot of it initially was naivety which i think can actually serve quite well initially because i think if we overthink things we do stop ourselves from doing a lot my mum is a creative my mum's always been in theater she was a drama teacher she was a director my dad's in business so i think that i'm perhaps maybe the ultimate mix of them and always knew really well i mean my mum always says that, you know, I was never really going to work for anyone because I just don't have that kind of <laughs> brain. I know what I want and I try and figure out how I'm going to get it. And sometimes trying to fit into someone else's box isn't going to work for some of us. And sadly for me, that was not going to happen. So, well, not sadly, surely. It just well, meant yeah, you, 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 you have your goal. I know how to get there and I'm going to do what I can to get there. Yeah. And I think that sometimes it's amazing. And sometimes I feel like, I think I definitely have a a brain full of ideas and sometimes I'm like my ideas are good but I don't know how to get them from A to B and so I wish I had more of a business brain in that sense because I think that sometimes my ideas are 
better than my business will allow me to be. But I think that, yeah, you've got to have a very organised sense of self and you've got to have a very... You've got to be able to trust your instincts. I think that that's it. And I've always been able to do that. And I've always had a feeling of like, well, I'll just do that or I'll just do it myself or I'll just get on with it, which I think is probably a business brain in that And if sense. it doesn't work... Try something else. Try something else yeah. to, make, to make it work. Move it and develop and grow and change. And, and so... I think, yeah, I've always had that mentality of just do it. So I think that probably is a business brain, really, I suppose. But when you were starting out, when you, as somebody who didn't, was kind of making it up as they go along, did you have any support? So initially I was with the Prince's Trust and we had funding and loan from the Prince's Trust, which was wonderful. The support from the Prince's Trust did die off and initially it was terrifying, genuinely terrifying. I can remember not knowing anyone in business Back then, it was very different. Different in what way? Well, I think that nobody was in business. Everybody had gone... Well, obviously, people were in business, but nobody I knew was in business. People went and got jobs and had careers and had... This is the job that I'm going to do. Went to university and went and got a job. And I can remember there were times... When I very first started out thinking, well, I know a guy who does alarms. He's in business. I wonder if I could talk to him or like I just didn't know anyone in Mm. business. And Facebook was very new on social media was very new. So people weren't connecting online and talking about business. I mean, it seems so strange to think now because it's not that long ago, relatively speaking. But now, I mean, I can think of five of my friends just off the top of my head who run their own businesses. And I connect with so many people, whether it's online or at networking events and the support now is incredible and comparatively speaking it's a different world it's completely different world and initially no I don't feel like I had any support I feel like I was running around in dark rooms screaming and going I'm just going to make this up and spent a lot of time going I'm just going to make this up and years later I can remember particularly writing proposals and things like that I had no idea I just wrote them and then years later I can remember someone giving me a proposal for something that was a proper business and I was going oh I actually didn't do a bad job (laughs) these are quite similar but it was just a wing and a prayer I think whereas now the support is very 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 much there and it's wonderful if you are in business now you know you don't have to go 10 feet before you meet someone else that's also in business that you can talk to and that you can share and you can support each other so that network's definitely there now now this is something that's come up a few times within our podcast series do you think being creative gives you advantages in the world of business? I think that it gives you advantages in the sense of having the ideas. I think sometimes you have to... I remember speaking to someone not long ago and he was trying to teach creative thinking and I was like, "How? what do you mean? And he was saying, oh, well, you know, you have to try and get people to think about things in a different way and think outside the box. And I realised everything that he was trying to teach, I was naturally doing. So I thought, oh, what? I clearly have a creative mind. I think that whatever you have, you take for granted and you don't realise is an asset or otherwise. And you just think that that's the way everyone thinks and that's the way everyone works. And I, and it was a couple of people that were talking about how, you know, they were trying to drink from their left hand all the time instead of their right hand so that they would try and wake up parts of their brain that were perhaps maybe try and get them thinking differently and thinking outside the box. Whereas I think that I think outside the box most of the time. But I think that having a creative business can be more challenging because a lot of the time, and this is sad, but it's true, people don't always value creatives. They think, oh, you can just come and do a dance at this, can't you? And it's like, well, oh, it's only five minutes. And it's like, well, it's not five minutes. It might be five minutes of dancing, but it's years of training. It's weeks of rehearsal. It's costumes. It's the, and, and so I think sometimes people, and we've had this a lot, aren't necessarily willing to pay what they should or aren't willing to pay. And unfortunately, that then damages your business and can damage the industry as a whole. I think that there are times when, because you work in an industry that people are willing to do for free, you know, you have a lot of amateur dramatics, you have a lot of dance schools that will perform at this and perform at this, then I think sometimes, and not always, of course not always, but sometimes there is a responsibility on businesses to not take those freebies and to not go oh well we'll just get the local dance school to perform or we'll get the local cheerleading group to come and do some cheerleading and it's like but that's not how it works because 
professional dancers are trained in a different way and professional cheerleaders are trained in a different way and there is definitely a responsibility on other businesses to recognise that creative businesses are worth their value you wouldn't have an amateur plumber come in and do your plumbing so why would you have I would never do my plumbing I tell you that <laughs> well this is it so I think that it's a shame when you see businesses sort of bringing in dancers for free or expecting freebies because you're a creative and I think in that way being a creative business is so much harder because you seem to spend your life going I'm not going to ask my dancers to work for free I don't ask anyone else to work for free and I'm not going to do it to them so you have to I think sometimes I feel like I'm someone who is trying to sort of guard them and protect them and say you know they are worth their value you have to make sure that you see their value and entertainment's one of the most valuable things in the world anyway but we take it for granted because there's so much of it around that is free but as a creative running a business I think sometimes that can be an advantage because if you hit a wall you find a way around it and I think that in the industry that I'm in you hear no so often that you don't worry about the no's if you hear a no you go okay maybe let's try again or let's go around this way or let's try it this way or let's change it whereas I think perhaps maybe that would make other people panic whereas for me I think adapting and adjusting ideas and moving around them comes from having a creative brain cool thank you now you talk about training for years when was the first time you went to dance school how old were you then so I was about three so i don't remember a time without dancing. The story goes that apparently I stood in the street and saw a poster in in the window of of a dancer and said to my mum that I wanted to be a dancer. And so she thought, you know, well, why not? And rang them up and got me going to dance classes. And yeah, you train hard and you do train hard. You grow up with it so you don't really know what it's like not to do it but it's funny actually because I was talking to someone last night who was a dancer and she gave up when she sort of got to her late teens and she was saying you you don't realize how much of your life is dedicated to dance when you're a teenager and I mean you can't cut your hair because you have to wear your hair in certain ways for exams you can't do anything dangerous because you know if you if you went ice skating and twisted your ankle your dance teacher would not be happy with that so your whole life is kind of built around this training and around what you do and you spend more time with your dance teacher than you do with any other teacher in your life you know, I was with my dance teacher from the age of three to 21. So, you know, it's 18 years of my life with the same dance teacher. I obviously had other dance teachers at the school, but my core teacher was the same all the way through. And that person knows you better, knows what you do, develops you, your your body develops in a certain way, your whole mindset develops in a certain way. And I'm very, very grateful that I was given that opportunity because at three years old, you don't make the decisions. My mum made that decision for me and I'm so grateful that she did because it really well has set me up for life my whole life revolves around it so but the training's hard it is hard and you do have times like you do with anything where you want to give up and you want to quit and those cold nights because you did go away to dance school I did and decided (laughs) yeah I had a little blip so I got into the Brit Academy in London and it was all very exciting and I was moving to London I was going to be a dancer and, and that was it it was set for life I mean this was years ago so this would have been in 2000 and um I was only 17 and I moved to London and I went and I thought oh no what have I done and I thought I can't do this there's a very and it's very different now because we are talking like 20 years ago there's a very I mean it's still competitive but a dark side to it and it was you felt like you never were going to make friends because your friends would happily stab you in the back for the job or but it's you know, a competitive industry isn't it it's if a you're, if very you're, competitive you're industry. auditioning for one role and there's 20 dancers going for well, it well I mean there could be a thousand dancers yeah. going for it I mean we have like 250 odd CV sent to us if we put a role out for a yeah. dancer so the big things and I just thought you know what I don't think I can do this I don't think I want to do this I don't think I want to dance anymore and I was kind of getting to the point where my body was rebelling and I was like I'm just gonna quit so I decided to drop out of college and quit and obviously everyone was like 
what are you doing? And I'd got into the College Against All Odds. It was the only non-fee paying college in London at the time. So it was like the only one that I could really go to if I didn't get scholarships. And I'd fainted in my audition anyway, because I'd not been very well. So I'd passed out in the middle of my audition, which was just ridiculous. And I thought, well, I've I've messed it up and they only took 1% of students from outside of London so all the odds were stacked against me so when I got in and got this place everyone went mad when I quit and I was like I just know in my gut that it's right in the same way that I went to sixth form initially and did a couple of months at sixth form and then just got up one day and walked out and was just like no and literally just got up out of my classroom and walked out the school and went home and rang my mum was like so I'm not doing sixth form anymore and she was what? So I'm very good at following my gut instinct. And but it's interesting, isn't it? Because you're clearly not a quitter in the no. sense that when you did find what was right for you, yes. you stuck at it. I think that you know instinctively if you're on the right path. And I think sometimes it's hard to trust that instinct, but I think it is there, definitely. Mm. And I knew at Brit that that wasn't right and that I was done. So, so I quit dancing completely for about a year and I cut my hair really short and I gained a load of weight and decided never ever ever that was I going to do it ever again and then after about a year it's a very strange thing to explain but dancing and I know that if there's dancers listening to this they will know what I mean it's just part of who you are when you train for something for so long you can't really put it down because your body and your mind is geared up to be that thing so I couldn't and I was very much kind of like I'm going to have and I knew that I had to go back to it and I was like kind of went shuffling back to my dance teacher very out of shape and was like yes I'm out of shape I need to get back onto it so and I didn't know what that meant but I just knew I had to get back training and get back to the bar and ballet bar and get back into those exercises and then once I started doing that that's when the job at Woodlands came up and I thought right well at least it'll help me get in shape for a few months until I figure out what I want to do and um yeah, it just kind of went on from that. Getting to, towards the end of our podcast now, I'm going to ask you some difficult questions. Okay. The first one is, what do you consider has been your greatest achievement professionally? <sighs> See, now that is so, so difficult. I think that there's been some things for me that have been moments where I've gone, wow, how did this happen? I think being with the cheerleaders at the ice hockey was something that we wanted to do so much. And standing in the arena with sort of 10,000 people screaming for the hockey and seeing these cheerleaders around the arena is a is an incredible moment. At the same time, being on set, we've done some film work and being on set and seeing people, my dancers working with people who I've seen in film and who I've admired and thought, gosh, that's amazing. And seeing those things, but then also at the same time, I think things like winning the Rising Star, for me personally, felt like a huge achievement because it felt like sort of a confirmation that what I was doing was a business <laughs> and it had a place in the business industry. So I think there are achievements that make you feel amazing and make you have pinch yourself moments. We did some live TV for Cricket AM and that for me, because I actually danced in that. So for me personally as a dancer was an, a great achievement. But I think as the business, having that confirmation from business peers and people around me was probably the greatest achievement for my business, definitely. I understand that completely. Having, you know, somebody say to you, yes, you are what you think you are. Is, yeah. Uh, and also having someone stand back and say this is what your business looks like and you go oh wow I didn't realize I'm kind of so caught up in the middle of it having someone having them the acceptance of people around you and saying you know your business is random and I and I always say you know I didn't know if my feathers and sequins were going to fit in and it's one of those things where they do and it's really surprising and really rewarding to hear that and to to be part of that group as it were and Another difficult question. What's the single most important piece of business advice you can give to our podcast listeners? Okay, so this is something that someone said to me and that I have literally carried with me all the time. And that's everything that you want is on the other side of fear. I'm someone who worries and panics and doesn't want to do things and gets fearful and I think we all do because putting your business out there is very raw it's very personal it feels like you're putting a bit of yourself out there so you suddenly become fearful of everything but you have to think that if you push through that 
fear, that's where all the magic happens and everything is just on the other side of that fear. So you just have to lean into it and push through it. And all the times in my life where my business has been at its best have been when I have gone through that fear barrier and and beaten it in myself and got to the other side. And found the magic. Yes, absolutely. I love the idea of business magic. Yeah, definitely. There's loads of business magic. You just got to find it. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Abby. We've talked about your websites. Where can people find you online? So mainly on Instagram, which is at Dali Dance. That's where we spend most of our time. We're on Twitter and Facebook and it's all just Dali Dance. And our website, obviously, dalydance.co.uk. But mainly Instagram is where we spend most of our time. So if you want to get in touch, that's where we go. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, thank you very much again, Abby Burns, for joining us on Inspired Business. Thank you. I'm joined again by business expert Angela Tooley. So... Angela, Abby is clearly very much a champion of the freelancer. Yes, Abby is such a great role model for the modern freelancer. It's interesting because for many years, the business world has seen freelancers as a bit of a poor relation, kind of a population of people who drift and either can't or won't get a proper job. However, thankfully, this mindset has changed. Many freelancers have unique or niche skills that businesses normally don't have in their own employee population, often because they don't need them all the time or They don't need um, a large number of those resources. If you think about projects and things like that, even large companies like Rolls-Royce will bring specialist design engineers in for certain key projects and then they'll sort of move on to something else. So having a strong freelance workforce is a major asset to the business community. Procuring these services on an as-needs basis is really cost-effective because um, only, not only does it enhance your own organisational skill sets, uh, but it normally means you can procure someone who really is at the cutting edge of their industry. As a freelancer, if you're going to be continually successful and grow your business, you do need to be on top of your game in terms of skills refreshment. The other benefit, of course, is having someone from outside come in and work with your team. I think we all find that working with the same people all of the time, um, it is easy to get stale. It's very easy just to repeat what you've always done. This is how we've done it. It's worked. Why should we Why should we change what we do and things like that? Um, but bringing someone from outside can really help you challenge yourself and your team to sort of explore and see if there is a better way or a different way um, of doing things that might be more cost effective or that might be more appealing to the customer or the market or even um, sort of help you sort of guide you in terms of sort of how competition is moving on and, and what other direction you could go in to keep ahead of the game. But what about the freelancers themselves? What what do they get out of this relationship? From an individual perspective, being a freelancer can be rewarding, both in terms of job stimulus and work-life balance. After all, you are your own boss and you can pick and choose your projects and control your workload. Um, if you don't fancy a project, if you don't feel engaged um, with the work with the project team who um, you're going to be working with then you can simply say no we have seen a massive growth in the economy over recent years and this is really allows people to work between other elements of their life whether that be family or other interests and give people a better work-life balance it also allows people to explore new passions or try and develop businesses in a less risky way because you can do that for a couple of days a week and then do something else do another job for for the rest of the week that brings in some sort of baseline income while you're growing your new business and what we've seen over the last few years is a wealth of new entrepreneurs um, home-based cottage industries people who are taking their passions uh, and many of those are in the creative and digital sectors and and having a go at turning them into their own business and obviously with the the growth in social media it's very easy for people to go out and sell those products and get those products out into the public domain uh, without having to spend too much costs in terms of things like marketing. But it's not easy starting out as a freelancer. But being a freelancer is hard work and not without risk. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll take my hat off to anyone who decides to go down that route. Um, you do have to put yourself out there. And the reality is, especially at the start, Um, You probably have to take jobs that you don't particularly want to do. Ultimately, you're only as good as your next client or your next gig. Some people do worry about not having a guaranteed future income stream. So actually, you really need to 
consider some of these factors when you're starting out. And of course, you don't get perks such as paid holidays, pensions, healthcare, and all those other benefits that you get from working in a large company. And of course, it can be lonely um, because quite often you're working on your own or you're working with project teams that you will go in, you'll, you will spend a few weeks with them and you'll come out again and you may never see them again. The other thing to consider is that if you are looking to borrow money, whether you're uh, looking to buy a house or buy a car or anything like that, it is often harder um, as a freelancer to go through that loan application process. Uh, And so, you know, these are factors that you do need to consider. Uh, And it may be that um, there's certain times of your life that um, moving into this sort of freelancer world is more suitable for your lifestyle and your family than it than it is other times. And and I guess what we're seeing is a number of people starting out as freelancers when they leave school or university in their early 20s. But then actually they might go into a corporate world for 15, 20 years as they're getting themselves financially established and they need that protection and that cushion of working for a business. And then they're moving back out again. And we're, we're seeing a high growth in terms of people moving into that sort of freelancer business world uh, who are in their 40s and 50s and actually now have the freedom to explore some of those passions and see if see if they can start their own business. Having been in that position herself, starting out, Abby knows how important a support network is. Yeah, as I alluded to earlier, one of the most difficult things that freelancers find is getting themselves out into the marketplace and promoting themselves and their skills. And that is something you have to do yourself. You you don't have a big marketing team around you or budgets or things like that. And actually, ultimately, people will buy people. So it's important that this is something that you do yourself, however uncomfortable it might be for some people. You do need to set time aside to do this and obviously remember this is time that you don't get paid for this is not client time so you do need to think about how you manage this time to get the best return Uh, there's lots of different things you can do Um, there's lots of business networks around you you can join you can attend events you can use social media whether that be through some of the free things through linkedin and facebook or through paid advertising that you can do You need to think about what is the right social media platform for your product or service. Creative sort of crafts, uh, food and drink, things like that work very well on Facebook. More professional services offers a perhaps better place on something like LinkedIn or Twitter. So you really need to sort of think about what, what you're trying to sell, who your target market is, what platforms they might use and and, and try it out. And, and if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then, then try something different. Abby's focusing a lot of her time on Instagram. Often marketing is most effective when it's quite targeted rather than a large scattergun approach. And Abby has shown that she's got a real focus and, and, and sort of really focused her time in terms of a specific region and specific business networking groups and things like that and as she's shown that sometimes just focusing on one or two targeted groups and building a strong relationship and trust within those groups may be better for your business in the long term than actually a scattergun approach where you attend lots of networking groups eat lots of breakfasts and chat to lots of people but actually you don't really know them. They don't really know you. You don't build that relationship. And without that relationship with someone in a networking group, then how are they going to have the trust in you to refer you on to someone who they know? So these are some of the things that you, you need to think about. Also think about how you utilize your existing clients testimonials and case studies are a great way of promoting yourself and the skills you have so don't be afraid when you've done a piece of work to ask for a quote or a little case study or something like that that you can use to put out via social media or share with people also look at your client list and consider if there's similar companies or similar individuals who you could target with what you've done before so actually sell almost a bit repeating selling into the same sector or to the same sort of customer type works really well. And Abby's going out into her own community. Abby's got a real focus and has invested her time in building her network, um, particularly through sort of the marketing derby business community, as well as the local residential and school communities around where she runs her business. This is really targeted in terms of the region and the offer. And she's 
obviously getting the benefits from it. She's got a really good understanding of what her customers in the community value. Um, but she's also been really smart in, in how she's sort of spending her money. So rather than sort of investing in lots of high cost sort of traditional marketing activity to promote what she does, she's investing that time and money in doing her community Christmas shows, for example, uh, which is great because not only does it showcase her business uh, far better than any printed advertising might do, but it's also giving something back to the community which people really value and, and that starts to build trust in people as well. And Abby's building trust within her own creative community, the performing community, providing support. Yes, in close-knit business communities such as Derby, people do help each other out. It's for the greater good. Creative cultural businesses such as Abby's are great for the city as it what attracts people into the city to, to live and go out and obviously spend money, which is great for the city's economy. So it's so important that we support and nurture those creative businesses when Abby decided to set up her business, there were times when she was terrified. She couldn't see where the support was going to come from. Is there more support available now? Small businesses in Derby are really lucky because there's some great networks uh, available to support them. Uh, and the business community is really vibrant. Marketing Derby sits at the heart of that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a great support organisation because you have startups and young entrepreneurs uh, and freelancers mixing with senior executives from some of the very large businesses that we've got in the region such as Rolls-Royce and Toyota. So it's a great opportunity for people to go and talk and get advice and and sort of join in that sort of business community aspect uh, which is so important uh, particularly for freelancers and and sort of startup businesses because it's a very lonely place when there's only one or two of you in the business for creatives alongside marketing derby we do have quads and quads are very engaged in the uh, creative and digital industry across the east midlands um, and there's a uh, a number of collaborations that they do with um, not just the university, but with other organisations um, to support businesses in that sector. Here at the university, obviously, we've got a School of Arts. We've got a, a, a vibrant, creative student community. So there's a lot of support, not just for students, but also for others within the city who are in those sorts of sectors. For our student entrepreneurs, we have the Be The Boss programme. But also we have our newly opened Innovation Hothouse, which is based at the Enterprise Centre, and Banks Mill on Bridge Street, which is our incubator for creative and digital businesses. Um, and these are open to anyone. And you can come in and there's space for you to sit and work in a hot desk in facility. But also um, you can get access to business advice and mentoring. Um, and also sort of they, that team will help you in terms of signposting, in terms of what else is available across the region to support you in the creative industry. And again, social media and connectivity in general has improved. The support network has expanded from the local to the global, in a sense. Yes, I do think the um, power of the internet and the improvements in social media and connectivity have definitely benefited the creative industry. And it really is a sector now without borders. So Abby might load a YouTube clip of one of her dancers' performances as one of her Christmas shows. And, and that can be seen by anyone in the world. And, you know, it may be that, that, there's, that there's a potential client in, in Vegas even who, you know, who's seen what she does, seen some of her dancers and say, actually, this is the sort of thing that I'm looking for. And yet, and yet again, social media is great for promoting yourself, not just locally, but also globally. Many in the creative sector particularly some of the design areas and things like that. Actually, you, you don't need to travel to deliver the service to your clients. So if you're, you know, if you're doing some form of sort of marketing um, design or uh, illustrations or um, something in the digital space around gaming and things like that, actually, you can work from the comfort of your own home. And then share what you do with your clients overseas. So actually, it, it really has opened up opportunities for the sector. One thing Abby spoke passionately about is the need for people, other businesses, to value creatives. As we said already, a strong freelance workforce is a huge asset to the business community, but they need supporting. 
in Abby's experience, this sometimes isn't happening. So you wouldn't use an amateur plumber and you wouldn't ask a professional plumber to work for free for exposure, so to speak. The creative sector is so important for UK PLC. It actually contributes £270 billion to the UK economy and employs over 2 million people, which is about 6% of the population. Uh, which I was quite surprised about when I looked at the figures before we did this interview. But actually, if you think about it, for most people, it's our creative interests that help enrich our lives and kind of make us human, Uh, whether that be engaging in them ourselves through our own sort of musical talents or our own sort of interests, or actually just indulging in going to the theatre or listening to music or things like that. Uh, And of course, as I mentioned earlier, it's a sector that really helps build communities and brings people into a region to live and to socialise. If you think about it, they're the sorts of things that you're looking for if you're looking at moving to an area. It's not just about the job. It's what else is there? What is there for me to do at the the weekend? Are there the right um, clubs and social circles for my children and things like that? And and therefore, it it sort of really helps build some other sectors as well, such as hospitality and tourism. Creative talent and skills isn't just for the creative sector, though. Uh, We've all seen at first hand the benefits of creative innovation and marketing in terms of brand or design or sort of content and things like that. Whether it's the Apple logo or Dyson's vacuum cleaners, they're all products that we covet um, to have at whatever expense. And it's not necessarily the best quality uh, and they're certainly not the most cheapest that's attractive to and it's that whole design innovation creative marketing sort of aspect which which has drawn us to buy that product or invest our uh, invest our time in something and those sorts of skills come from those individuals that we're talking about we've spoken previously in this podcast about using no as a motivator in the sense of finding out why it's a no. Abby says a creative mindset means you don't worry about the no's, you adapt and you adjust ideas to find a way around the no. Abby has certainly used her own creative skills to advance her business. She recognised very early on that her business needs to constantly evolve and diversify to remain competitive as others start to do what she started out doing. And importantly, to bring in some different revenue streams. Creativity and innovation is something that smaller businesses do particularly well, more so than larger businesses. I think as businesses grow uh, and more processes and policies are brought in, it kind of stifles people and sort of staff get very siloed because they're quite often focused on one or two key tasks as part of their job role rather than sort of working across the the entirety of the business and as a result they do lose some of that creativity and that creative thinking that is really important for businesses to have in order to keep them one step ahead of the competition you quite often see that in sort of schools and sort of education and things like that and if you think about children when they're at infant school a lot of their time is spent in playing and being creative and things like that but as they move up into the education system and they go into primary schools and it's more focused about results and performance and things like that you do see that change in in children as well and they do spend less time playing and things like that so I'm a big advocate in terms of encouraging people of all ages to um, just get that creative mindset re-going again through whatever means possible um, because actually it's all there because we all had it when we were young and they're one of those skills that we just really forget that we've that we've gotten things like that because it is important it is a differentiator that helps the business to be more successful and of course, small businesses can move a lot more quickly than, than larger businesses. There is less bureaucracy. There's less decision making um, in order for ideas to be taken forward to get approval and things like that. So actually, small businesses do have the advantage there in terms of getting ahead of the competition. It's interesting. We, we are seeing large businesses look for those smaller businesses, those innovative businesses to partner with, or actually come into the university and work with uh, our students on R&D projects or to engage them in live projects and challenges where, we, where a company will set them a project or a challenge to say, you know, 
think about where could I take this product next or how could I adapt this or what can I do differently and things like that because actually it's good to get ideas from outside and get people thinking differently who've got different views in terms of your business and your products and services to help you. We also deliver training workshops in a lot of areas with staff and and particularly some of those also involve sort of an element of play using things such as Lego simulations. What you find is that these sorts of activities really help with staff development, particularly that they're seen as non-threatening and they help people relax into the environment and start to think outside their box. So they're really beneficial. Abby trained as a dancer but clearly has a business brain. She puts it down to trusting your instincts. Trusting your instincts and the ability to take measured risks. This does get easier with experience which is why it's great that Abby is supporting others in the sector just starting out by sharing her own business experiences with emerging entrepreneurs and she spends a lot of time with our creative students at the university too which is fantastic it is terrifying at the start I've, I've been there and I know you have as well Toby and not just at the start also at many steps along the journey which is why that that network of supporters those trusted people who you can chat to and talk things through with to get validation is so important. Also taking the time to properly research and understand your marketing customers is something else that Abby has proved is really important that you do. But she's also proved what is possible with sheer hard work and some bloody mindedness. I do agree with Abby about the word no. Without wishing to sound like a five-year-old, I do like to use the word why when people say no. Often you can find a way around a no or a problem by just using that word. It is actually a proven problem-solving tool um, that is very simple to apply to a number of situations. I'll leave it to you to work out how many times you should ask why before you get to the answer normally. But the problem-solving tool is called Five Whys. Thanks, Angela. I'd like to thank Abby Burns again for joining us on our Inspired Business podcast. And of course, I'd like to thank Angela Tooley, who helps me navigate around the business ideas we discuss. Thanks, Angela. You've been listening to Inspired Business, a podcast from the University of Derby telling amazing and inspirational stories from businesses in Derby, Derbyshire and beyond. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating or review and tell a friend who might also like to listen. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of the show, please get in touch. You can find contact details and more information about the series at derby.ac.uk forward slash inspired business. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch up with you again very soon. Next time, we'll be joined by John Eno, founder of Hot House Music Schools.